What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. It was a pretty preposterous proposition to be building a brewery that was totally dedicated to non-alcoholic beer. This is the category with like near zero sales, less than zero interest, no excitement for decades, and just like a big stigma attached to it. You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Legorio Chafkin. Today's episode, The Accidental Entrepreneur. Bill Schufelt had a great job as a trader for a hedge fund in Connecticut, and he liked the looks of his future career. But when he quit drinking alcohol, he noticed that his options at bars and restaurants seemed slim. And once he dug into the category of N.A. beer, he found a dusty, antiquated market with a negative perception. With a little bit of urging from his wife, he decided to try to change all that by merging trendy craft brewing with better-for-you beverages. But first, he would need a partner in brewing and a lot of funding. I'll let Bill explain. I was really as accidental an entrepreneur as it comes. I had absolutely zero intention of starting my own business. Not even in the industry I was in did I want to start a financial hedge fund or anything. I had a good career, assumed I'd do it the next quarter of the century and retire, and that would be it. And But athletic really just emerged out of such a need in my life. I like to consider myself like a fairly normal, modern adult and was eating healthier, working out, waking up every day at 5 a.m., working out and had to be sharp at my job from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then was out to work dinners three or four nights a week and then friends, family, social stuff on weekends and rinse, repeat. But all those were drinking occasions, basically. And I was just sick of drinking. And about 10 years ago, I stopped drinking, training for my first ultra marathon and realized that I just never wanted to go back. Let's pause at ultramarathon. So you're one of those crazy people too, uh, just like my husband is. Um, he likes to run 50s and 100s, uh, even better than marathons. So have you done a few of those? I have. And it's it's more to escape my phone than anything. It's just so nice to just go out into the woods and you're never going to find me on a podium of any sort. Like I'm just out there as a total recreational runner. Totally. What's your favorite? What's your favorite race? Um, the Telluride Mountain Run is pretty incredible. Um, I've done the Bim- Blimbler's Bluff in Connecticut, which is a 50K two or three times as well. I hear that's how you found some of your first customers. Is that right? Yep. So, I mean, everything with Athletic was brick by brick. And that first summer, I was our whole sales force for New England. And I went, opened every account we opened. And every weekend, I was handing out beers at two or three races. So I'd wake up at three or four in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays and drive somewhere within five hours in my house. Usually I'd run the race, then set up at the finish line, hand out a cooler of beers, sometimes a pallet of beers, and then drive five or six hours home and do it again the next day if I can. That's fantastic. So let's back up a little bit. When when you started out, the market for non-alcoholic beer was sort of not quite non-existent, but really, you know, decades sort of stale. What did you find when you started talking to people in the industry, started talking to potential consumers and potential brewers? Yeah, so it was very much an industry hiding in plain sight. And where kind of I described it matching my modern lifestyle perfectly, 
everyone had their own perception of non-alcoholic beer, which was for like very niche occasions or populations. And where really non-alcoholic beer makes sense for a huge percentage of the population most of the time and could bring a lot of enjoyment to people. But I will say there was a lot of rejection from the day I went when I quit my job, it was about six months of nothing but rejection. Hundreds of brewers. The fundraising was really tough. Uh, I did 120 investor meetings to raise our first um, fundraising round to build our first brewery. And out of hundreds of brewers... And I, how big was that round? It was about $3 million. Wow. 150 meetings for $3 million. Wow. Yeah. It was a pretty preposterous proposition to be building a brewery that was totally dedicated to non-alcoholic beer. This is the category with like near zero sales less than zero interest, no excitement for decades, and just like a big stigma attached to it. And the people who believed in us just had confidence that we could totally rebrand the category and make it exciting and great. And a big part of that's our co-founder, John. He had won every alcoholic award under the sun in craft brewing. And credit to John. He was out of hundreds and hundreds of brewers I talked to. He was the only one who saw the potential in the idea. You had worked on the idea a little bit on your own for for some time before quitting your job. Then you, you mentioned you had, you know, more than 100 meetings with investors, more than 100 meeting with meetings with potential co-founders. Like, tell me about that. Like, what were you looking for in, in a someone to start the business with and someone to be there with you and be a brewer? Well, I really should have been looking for John. I wasn't necessarily looking for someone as amazing as John is, and I'm beyond lucky that I found him. He's not only an extremely talented recipe creator, brewer, but also an amazing manager, um, leader of people, and just an overall great co-founder of the business. So I got incredibly lucky, and like who you team up with as a co-founder is just such an important part of a business's life journey. And I couldn't imagine being a solopreneur where like, I don't have someone to go through these constant peaks and valleys with as well. Yeah. And how did you find him? Um, and did you two hit it off right away? Just through tons of rejection. Uh, I would go to conferences <laughs> with 10,000 This is just a story about rejection. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, it was so bleak. And thank goodness for my wife, like keeping me going. And um, I was, I think I was just delusional also, but I would go to conferences with like 10,000 people and not be able to strike up a single meaningful conversation. And I would just go back to the hotel exhausted at night. And by the time John responded to me, I had taken non-alcoholic out of the all the description elements like they were publicly available. And I'd basically gotten to starting conversations like, please don't hang up and give me three minutes. And like, credit to John. John is the only one who saw the potential in the idea. And he had grown up in the food service industry and just saw that this could be an enormous part of people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. How do you make a beer, an IPA, say, that doesn't have so much alcohol in it? That was another problem in recruiting someone to help me brew. I was basically taking all the known methods of making non-alcoholic beer off the table and said, we have, to, oh. we have to come up with our own process. I have these basic ideas around how I want to brew it. So John picked up from, he was brewing in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He had a one-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son at the time. And they packed up and moved across the country to experimentally brew non-alcoholic beer in an empty warehouse. Wow. Huge props to his wife. And yeah, we basically started from scratch and we were brewing on Gatorade jugs, two guys who didn't know each other for six months. And it was just like eight hours of talking about like what's important to us in this company we're building. What do we want the culture to be like? Tasting beer together, brewing and everything. So it was really an incredible getting to know you time as well. 
Wow, that's great. So is that time, that that sort of six months of experimenting, two guys and their Gatorade jugs full of various brews, is that where some of the current company values came from? Some of the, I know you have just sort of such a rich slate of ideas for giving back and ways that you kind of always have given back to the community and um, to the environment. You want to talk about that a little bit? For sure. So it really is like everything from team to our impact in the world emerged from this period. And like we knew our products are inherently better for you and healthy for society. And we knew we could have a huge positive impact on tens of millions of people's lives through making moderation more accessible. But it was during that time where like I had never been with a company where the employee handbook meant something or like the values or mission statement weren't just like dropped off by McKinsey. And yeah, we have this 25 page handbook that we still use with every teammate who joins our team and walk through about what's important to us and our company. And in that was our two for the trails and impact program. So we donate about 3% of all sales. It's hard coded and it'll be almost $2 million total this in 2022. But our two for the trails is wow, that's up from like what 1 million a year or two ago, right? Yep. And so two for the trails is the biggest building block of that. And um, that go- so this year in 2022, we're making 106 donations across probably all 50 states to just enhance outdoor access for generations to come. And it could be anything from like urban parks to trail building, trail cleanups, infrastructure, and just enhancing outdoor access for everyone. That's so fantastic. And and you guys have been a certified B Corp for a while too, right? Yep. I think we've had B Corp value since day one. We just got around to actually applying, getting through the certification last year. And so we're now a proud B Corp and look, looking forward to building in that community as well. Yeah. What does that mean to you? And and what does kind of having and holding that certification mean to you? I know it's a rigorous process that is a struggle for many companies. Um, but what is, I guess, what does it what does it do for you and for the employees and and the company? So we've always held our team and our customers at the heart of everything, and then our communities and the environment beyond that. But like kind of those concentric circles building out that we try to impact, and um, everyone who joins our team, like we aim to have a very merit-based, fulfilling career for them. And everyone in our company is an equity owner in the company from day one. And that's a big part of like owning what we're building together. And then that echoing all the way out through the customer journey and the environmental impact is all really important to us. And uh, there's a lot of just scraping every dollar these days to be like profit maximizations. And we want to be both a profitable company, but also like a great member of society as well. Yes, you've got your customer in mind and your employees in mind um, in terms of health, wellness, having a sustainable career, but it does use a lot of energy to do brewing, to do bottling, to do packaging, right? Um, And now you run not one, but two facilities, one on either coast, right? Yeah, so Connecticut and San Diego are two big facilities and brewing is very resource intensive and we've been really trying to dial that in since day one. Um, Our overall water usage at our facilities is down almost 70% from when we started, just on reuse, recapture, using water for cleaning or like really filtering it and like recirculating it. We recently turned on solar panels on top of our brewery in California, so. Oh, great. I was going to ask how that was going. You have a huge roof space, right? Yep. So they now have about 80,000 square feet of solar panels on that brewery. Um, So we've taken a large portion of that brewery off the grid out in San Diego. So between water 
solar energy and we do carbon dioxide and nitrogen recapture in our brewing process. Everything we're doing outside of that in our two for the trails and sustainability all kind of ladders up towards like lessening the footprint we're having as much as we can on the world. That's fantastic. And did that kind of come out of those early conversations as well? Or has that been a mission that's been evolving? A lot of that stuff was in our like day one business plan all the way back to like 2014. Um, And really just the outdoors is such a big part of my life and lifestyle that it just kind of bleeds into the whole company. But as a result of that, we've attracted a lot of teammates who are super into sustainability and impact on the world and stuff. So it all gets reinforced with new teammates coming in as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, So tell me about the company today. How many employees do you have? You said everyone's an equity owner. Um, What is the culture like, uh, aside from probably very outdoorsy? (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, we have about 220 teammates now, about a third in each San Diego and Connecticut, and then about a third of them everywhere else we do business, including six international countries. We love the culture. It's definitely not easy, but it's a great culture. So we all work hard, challenge ourselves. There's unbelievable idea velocity inside our walls. And I think that's just an excitement from everyone on the team. And but we're all just trying to keep up and do great things for our community. When we come back, I'll talk with Phil about his advice for sticking with your crazy idea no one else believes in. And the time he drove a forklift into a truck. But first, a quick break. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Being a reluctant entrepreneur, being someone who didn't necessarily want to start their own brewery, who had a struggle raising money at the start, how and when did, did things start to kind of turn around? And when did you get that kind of affirmation that this is going to work, whether that was a financial realization or just conceptual? I mean, every day still has its three valleys and four peaks. And hopefully those are like slightly up or to the right as like over a long enough time. But yeah, really nothing is easy. And I know you've heard so many stories of it, but like every little thing in our breweries would go wrong if we weren't paying attention to it. And I feel like our equipment suppliers beta tested everything on us without us knowing it. And (laughs) we'd be getting like support phone calls from Eastern Europe at weird hours and like machines would blow up and flood our parking lot. And we'd have to sit next to it in a lawn chair and monitor it on the weekends. And so like Like it's a newborn. It was crazy. And so (laughs) every day is still like that to an extent, although it's just happening in more and more places with so many more teammates in the company, but we've been super lucky with the teammates. Tell me one of those stories. Tell me the best crisis in the brewery story that you might tell someone over a beer. We always had such tight production timelines and we had all these like flow meters and stuff that we were essentially beta testing for a vendor unbeknownst to us. And the support was in Eastern Europe. And so me, whose specialities were more sales, marketing, finance, operations, 
I found myself on the phone and tech support for like eight hours at a time trying to get liquid to flow through these flow meters correctly and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Our first pallet that ever went out the door at the brewery, it was like this moment where we only had four people in the company, but we were all standing around. I was going to drive the pallet onto the truck. The truck was totally empty. It was just going to be one pallet, which would be so sad these days. <laughs> but with the forklift, I hit the ridge of the truck and the whole pallet just launched and spilled everywhere all over the truck. And oh. Pallets took us forever to build back then. And it was pretty funny. I had quite an audience for a huge fail. Wow. Wow. And was there just liquid just everywhere? For sure. The truck driver was not psyched. And oh. he was like, he was definitely thinking this new non-alcoholic brewery is going to be in business for about a few weeks. Well, and you're probably thinking, my precious liquids, <laughs> these took us so long to make. <laughs> for sure. Yep. So um, what advice would you have for a, a new founder starting out with an idea that just is not getting the resonance that they expect right away, um, but that they know, they know for me, you know, it would be a great product. How long do you stick with an idea that maybe isn't getting the resonance you want? I would say as long as you know that it's going to be a thing, and if it's a thing for you and you just know in your gut that it's going to be big, stick with it because every business could fail at some point. I think it's the businesses that don't hold on just long enough to get past those moments. Like If you hold on just a little bit longer, there's always a solution right around the corner that you haven't thought about that'll hit you that next day. So I would definitely encourage people just to be persistent and just by showing up every day, you're going to beat 99% of people out there. That's great. So how close are you guys to profitability now or like having a long-term game plan? Do you, do you do you know what's the future of the business? We're very close. We've just been building like crazy. But as soon as we stop building, we'll be very profitable. So we just turned on our new big Connecticut brewery on the East Coast. And it's about 150,000 square feet in size for the future. So we're really excited about that. And this is the first year ever where we're going to be able to say yes to any retailer who wants our beer. We've had to say so, so many no's in the past. And so we just got out to all 50 states last month, and we should be on a lot more shelves in 2023. So we're super excited to make a lot more beer in the new brewery. Great. And you're expanding internationally, too? Yep. So Australia, Canada, UK, France, Spain right now. And then wow. ho hopefully beyond as those catch fire. Yeah. Any surprising international markets? I mean, Europe is liking it. Yeah. So there's definitely a growing craft beer scene in France. Our sell-through rates in Australia, Canada, and the UK from day one have been awesome. That is great. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks, Bill, so much um, for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Speaking with Bill, what stuck with me is that while he didn't have some lifelong dream of founding a company, once he had that idea to change an antiquated industry, he stuck to it with all he had. His dedication through rejections from brewers, from potential co-founders, from investors is really admirable. And it all worked out. Athletic Brewing hit number 26 on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America this year, with a three-year growth rate of 13,071%. And what I loved about his story was that during that six months of first beginning to brew, 
Bill and his co-founder, John Walker, formulated not only beverages, but also a really thorough mission. Its employees are owners of the company, and as its profits grow, so will its mission to give millions to maintaining and improving park trails all over the country. The company's mission plan was written right into the business plan. That was really smart and not accidental at all. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow us wherever you are listening. It'll help make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you can spare just a minute, please leave us a review. You can also let me know what you think of our shows by dropping me a note at whatiknowatinc.com. Or you can let me know on Twitter at Legorio. Our producer, who also contains just 0.5% or less alcohol, is Joshua Christensen. Our associate producer is Blake Odom, and our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know. <laughs>